This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, July 19, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. Student loan debt continues to dog college students. It changes their perspective on the world, their career options, and their financial futures. Isaac Morehouse and T.K. Coleman run Praxis, a professional development program for young people they bill as an alternative or prelude to the four-year college degree. We spoke last month. We are here at FeeCon. And fee focuses on helping young people understand incentives, understand economics, and uh, you know, imbues the economic way of thinking to young people. And a lot of these people are going to go to college. And student loan debt has now crossed one and a half trillion dollars, and it is larger than either. Uh, I think. Uh, outstanding credit card debt or outstanding auto debt, but possibly not both. So in what ways does this, you know, government guaranteed borrowing, in what kind of ways does that compromise young people when they're, when they get out of college and realize that this, this large uh, cost is just hanging over them? Yeah. You know, one of the, one of the saddest things that I see is People who have spent their entire life, you know, the first 20 years of it for the most part, or 25 if they went to grad school or whatnot, in schools and not really interacting with the marketplace and trying to, you know, pick a professional path in school. And then they get out. And this is probably the most extreme for lawyers. I see it with lawyers more than anybody else. And they get into the job that they like studied for and that they kind of feel like they have to take because that's what they spent all this time and money getting a degree in. And in the case of law, you literally have to take a law job because no other job will pay you enough to pay back your student loan debt. Yeah, many, many cases they get out of law school and they go to big law. Yeah. And, and they find out a year or two in, I hate practicing law. I don't enjoy this, but I'm, I'm trapped. Or I don't, I don't enjoy practicing this kind of yes, law, this, yes. this highly remunerative or yep. it would be highly remunerative if I um, <laughs> were, were not saddled with debt. Yeah, absolutely. And you get, you get sort of a you – know, you get lifestyle lock-in where this is the only thing I can do that will pay me enough to pay my dad and to do the things that I'm you know, sort of accustomed to with my peers. And I, and I can't go back. And we're talking about people who are in their 20s you know, to feel like – you can't change your your professional direction at that young of an age. So what we've done is sort of raise the cost of experimentation and the cost of professional failure so high. So if you're if you're 19 and you spend 6 months on something that turns out to not work, that's so easy and cheap to recover. Um, but if you're 23 and you have $50,000 in student loan debt and you spend six months on something that doesn't work out, right? You all of a sudden, the stakes are so high, so fast for figuring out your job, your career. It's really, really rough. And I think where we've, the reason we've gotten to here, obviously, government guarantees and subsidies are artificially making it feel cheaper than it is up front. But there's another component to this that has more to do with the narrative and the and the sort of the social pressure, the belief. And a lot of that comes from years and years of public schools who are all judged based on how many people they get into college and college professors who are publicly funded as well. So there's obviously a heavy incentive problem from government, but there's this narrative that no matter what, a college degree is worth it. Always. There's literally no cost 
that people are told is too much for a degree. It's not like, well, if you can get it for 20,000, maybe it's worth it. But if it's like 30, it's probably not. There's no other good. Can you imagine telling 17 year olds, hey, go into debt for a Ferrari. Don't even ask if it's going to be worth it. Just It'll work out. Sign the papers. Don't look at what it's going to cost you in the long, like kids don't know what they're getting into. They're totally baffled by it. And, and the, the difference between a loan on a Ferrari and a loan for college is that you can discharge a loan on a Ferrari in bankruptcy and you cannot do that for uh, the subsidized student loans. Yeah. And you actually have something that even if it depreciates when you take it off the lot, you can sell it and at least pay back part of it. You you, you can't really sell your degree, right? You can, you can limit your losses. Exactly. Exactly. But, you know, this is interesting though. What what we found, so at Praxis, you know, we've got this one-year program and we're, we're giving people this professional boot camp. We're putting them in an apprenticeship. And the way that the program is structured is it costs $11,000 to do this year-long program, but you earn about $14,400 during the course of the program. So the net cost, you actually walk away making a little money. And you got to pay for your cost of living during the apprenticeship. But it's it's basically a net zero cost, and you're going to go through and get this work experience. And you're going to come away probably with a job. And we have young people that come to do the program, and they are incredibly – they scrutinize a tremendous amount the cost, the value. I don't know if I have enough money. I'm not sure if this is worth it. Tell me where. Now, I love that. That's how they should be, right? About everything. About something that's one year, zero cost. But the same kids who will be like, hmm, I just don't know. And we have payment plans. We make it really flexible to be like, I don't know if I can afford it. I'm not sure if it's worth it. And then they'll turn around and they'll be like, I think I'm just going to go to college instead. And I don't care if they want to go to college instead, but they don't ask any of the same questions about that. Like when it comes to Praxis and other goods in the marketplace, people are informed consumers. They want to make sure they're going to get their money's worth, but not with college. They don't scrutinize it. Banks that are issuing a lot of these loans, they know that there's this government backstop. Um, universities are happy to accept the funds. How culpable are these other uh, institutions, the universities, the banks, the government with respect to waltzing these young people into, uh, in, in some cases, six figures of debt for degrees that are known not to produce incomes that uh, for young people. Yeah. And that's a, that's a really great question. It's a hard question. I think there's two layers of answering it. The one is, look, anybody who is sort of, you know, pushing somebody into something that they probably don't have enough information to make a really good decision. That's kind of a crappy thing to do, right? Like, I don't think that's a very good thing to do. But as a free market person, as a person who's interested more in outcomes than, you know, people's intentions, look, whether or not they, they're good people or whether they're, they're culpable in some moral sense, everyone's self-interested and they're going to respond to incentives. And just like with the housing crisis, if you create a structure where the rational thing for people to do is things that are bad for other people, they're going to do those things because they're self-interested. And so the banks, like you said, they have this government, you know, this government subsidized thing. They know that they can't go bankrupt. It's it's in their self-interest to issue them. It's in the self-interest of the, you know, colleges and universities to get as many customers as they can. Who does that leave in this sort of big pressure narrative? The one group that I actually think has the most culpability is is parents. I really do. And like public school teachers, they're going to do what's in their self-interest as well. And the parents, they have this thing where it's really a question of social status or my kids actual like what do they want and that's going to make them happy. And I'm a parent and I know this is really hard. If your kid does something that makes them happy but embarrasses you, 
or makes them look worse than their peers, you have this feeling like this pressure. You want to force them to do the thing that will make you look good as a parent instead of the thing that maybe might be better for them in the long run. And I honestly think, I didn't think this when we started this, but from working with so many young people and their parents, parents might be the single greatest obstacle. A lot of the kids don't want this college debt and they don't want this degree but they feel like they have to based on their parents. Now, they, they can get the courage to sort of break free from that, but that's a very hard, hard thing to ask of a 17-year-old who's been you know under their roof for the whole time. So if, if you want to say which party I think the change needs to begin with, I really think that's it. I think it's parents. They got to they gotta get over that status thing. So I've made the pitch on behalf of Praxis or at the very least uh, delaying college uh, for a year for some young relatives of mine. And the parents really are the people who are make the case to parents that the their vision of what college is is uh, flawed. Yeah. So there's a there's a couple ways to to go about this. I'll give you a really quick answer, but then I'm actually going to ask T.K. Coleman, my colleague, to pop in here because he talks to parents more than anybody else on our team. Parents whose kids want to do the program and maybe they're skeptical. And I think he's phenomenal at at that. But the two things that I usually say is, one, look, we're not talking about who your child's going to be for life. We're not talking about 20 years. We're not talking about their career track. We're talking about a one-year experience, let's say, whether it's practice or something else. Before they go in and lock themselves into college, let them get out into the world and try a few things. Let them go intern at a law firm before they decide they want to be a lawyer. Let them go volunteer to do marketing for a small business before they decide they want to study marketing in class. If they think they want to be an accountant, let them go work around accountants and decide and actually bump into the world because then if you you become informed and you say, wow, I really like this. Now I have a reason for going to college and I'm doing it with a purpose. So we don't even have to answer the question of whether or not they should go to college. The main thing is they're going to get more out of it if they go in with a specific thing that they're interested in that they think college will help them achieve. So that's like the easy one. The more radical one, which I think is true as well, is in the world today, outside of professions that legally require a degree, a degree is not going to do jack for you in the job marketplace. Everybody has them. They're a dime a dozen. I talked to a business owner a couple months ago. He looked at 1,200 resumes for a position. They all had degrees. They were all really weak. And the three people he interviewed, they all had the same thing, a portfolio of work that they had completed. They had something to show for. I built this. I made this. I designed this. And that, the minute you have that, it's already more interesting than the degree. So if that makes the degree, just like when you have a degree, no one asks about your high school diploma. When you have your first professional experience or portfolio of projects, no one asks about your degree. So why not just build that and bypass the degree altogether? But I, but I really want to get TK's take on how to talk to parents who really have a hard time breaking from this idea that like my kid's going to be a loser without college. TK Coleman is now hijacking the Cato Daily podcast. TK, welcome. So when you talk to parents, what do what do you say to them and what are their concerns? What are they what are they most worried about when it comes to uh either delaying college or not not sending the kids to college at all? I'll give you an example of of how these conversations feel. If you take the US dollar Many people in this country don't know that the U.S. dollar is no longer backed by gold. Many people don't know what the rate of inflation is. 
Many people don't know how the U.S. dollar measures up with other countries' currencies. And the reason they don't know isn't because these things are unimportant. It's just that they don't need to know them in order to engage in everyday transactions using the U.S. dollar. Talk to those same people, however, about Bitcoin and what's going to happen. They're going to ask you all sorts of questions about monetary theory, the answers to which they don't have for the very form of money their lives depend on. What's backing it? Right, right. <laughs> and, and if you turn those questions around and say, do you have answers to those questions for the very thing you base your life on? The answer would be no. So there's something about the nature of the status quo that makes us so comfortable. It lulls us to sleep and it allows us to have faith in nothingness. But when you present something new, it, it, it raises our alarms and it makes us ask all of these tough, challenging questions. So the way people tend to react when their son or their daughter uh, decides that they want to opt out of college is they begin asking all the questions that the average 35-year-old doesn't have an answer to about their own lives. They want to know things like, what happens if my, my, my son or my daughter embarks on this path and six months down the road, one year down the road, they don't like the decision they've made, right? Which is a question you can ask yourself about getting married or accepting a job after college, right? It's a real thing. Another thing that they're concerned about is how, how transferable are these skills and experiences they're going to acquire in the program, right? Because if there's the illusion that if, if my son has a degree in education, that degree is a degree. And if they don't like teaching, they probably can go into finance or a host of other things, which is, a lot, there's a lot of room for debate on that, right? But so they, they, they wanna know that sort of thing. But apart from kind of like the, the practical questions, I find that there's usually a much more funda fundamental issue taking place. And, and, and this leads to how I deal with it. Parents are usually asking questions about themselves rather than about their children and their children's possibilities. Because the social challenge of opting out of college does not belong to the child alone. The social challenge also belongs to the parents. If you are a parent and you endorse your child's decision to opt out of college, you're going to get questioned in a lot of ways that just won't happen if you send them off to school. And many times parents are asking these questions for themselves because they often support the child, but they want to be able to explain this to other people that are going to give them the side eye and say, well, you know, how could you be a good dad if you're going to do that sort of thing? Or why all, would you let All my friends are sending their kids to college. Right, right. And, and so you, you listen to the question and you answer it faithfully and directly, but you also have to listen to the sentiments behind it. And you have to speak to that and you have to let them know, hey, look, Here's how you articulate that to others, okay? And, and, and you have to sort of reduce the risk in their eyes and let them know, here's what this doesn't mean. This is not a marriage, right? You're, you're not marrying an apprenticeship. You're not marrying praxis. You're not marrying the no college decision. But you marry Look, debt. <laughs> right, you do marry debt. And, and so similar to something Isaac said, one of the things I, I like to say to them is, hey, let's just assume for the sake of argument that it is absolutely necessary for your child to go to college. That's fine. Do you think they'll get more out of that experience 
by going straight from a life in which they've been told what to do every day. They don't have any real world experience. They don't know what it's like to have responsibilities. Someone else is assuming all the responsibility for them. Or do you think they'll perform better if they have some self-knowledge, if they have some real world work experience, and if, if, if they have the kind of maturity that comes along with that? If they go to college with that under their, their belt, they'll likely make a better use of the experience. So I try to make the short-term argument, you know, which is essentially this is something that will make them a better human being. Give it time. And at the end of the year, see how you feel about it. Talk to your child about it and see where you want to go from there, you know. And oftentimes parents will be convinced later on once they've had a chance to see results because you can't refute results, but you can refute appeals to possibility. And there's there's nothing quite as persuasive as giving them the opportunity to see what their son and daughter are capable of. And you got to sympathize with their fear, by the way, because you're talking about parents who haven't seen anything from their sons and daughters. And this proves a very important point about school. That means that the parents don't respect what school has taught them enough to believe that their child is capable of going out into the real world and succeeding. And I don't blame them because school has not equipped them to be successful at these sorts of things, which is why you need a program like Praxis to teach and train the sorts of things we we train them in. Isaac Morehouse and T.K. Coleman represent Praxis, a program aimed at professional development instead of or before college. We spoke last month. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. <laughs>